Again, uh, good morning. Um, welcome to everyone. Uh, again, my name is Donald Rothberg, and can people see me okay? I, I was originally placed up on the platform, which felt a little bit uncomfortable, so I came down. I'd rather stay at the same level, but uh, um, maybe if you having a little trouble seeing me, there are plenty of chairs which offer unobstructed views. <laughs> so. <laughs> And there's also plenty, there's quite a bit more room up, up front here. So, uh, welcome to this uh, day long on mindfulness of the body. It, it's a wonderful, powerful, fascinating, uh, deepening kind of theme. And I'm, I'm um, encouraged that you're here. For some of you, probably for many of you, this is the first of four day long retreats on the four foundations of mindfulness. Um, this will be the initial one. So how many of you are intending to be at all four of those sessions? Yeah, which is great. And we have uh, uh, roughly once a month, and I think there are certain benefits. I, I, I don't know, I imagine you can still sign up because you get, I think there's a reduced rate, if I remember right. And there's also, you get a free book, which is like this classic book on the four foundations of mindfulness, uh, by a German monk practitioner named Analaya, who's actually going to teach a retreat here in a little while, who has this wonderful combination of scholarship and practice. And this is sort of the state-of-the-art book on this, on this theme. And so we have today, the focus is on mindfulness of the body. In about a month, uh, my colleague uh, Sharda Rogel will teach on the second foundation, which is mindfulness of the feeling tone, the sense of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And I'll say more about that later. And the third foundation will be in September with uh, Temple Smith uh, on mindfulness, essentially of thoughts and emotions. How to practice and be attentive to thoughts and emotions. And then the last one, I'm going to come back and do that one. Uh, The fourth one will be in October. I think it's October 20th. And that will be on what's called mindfulness of dhammas, or I like to think of it as mindfulness of the larger patterns of experience. It's like the first three foundations of mindfulness. Let us develop the capacity to be mindful with what we might call the constituents of experience. That is, um, the bodily experiences in different ways, uh, the sense of uh, feeling tone, the sense of that's painful, that's pleasant. You know, it's a very primordial level of human experience, actually animal experience and probably, um, yeah, animal and other uh, living beings have this uh, receptivity to pleasure and pain, right? You see, we probably remember from high school those films of paramecia, you know, who some, there's some acid or something and they go, they pull back like that. Remember that? Um, I hope that wasn't unpleasant memories bringing you back to <laughs> high school science. But. And so then the third foundation also of the constituents. And the fourth is we kind of bring it all together and look at the larger patterns, particularly, for example, one core pattern is the, comes through the lens of the teaching of the Four Noble Truths, which basically says, look for where there's any suffering, where one's really <clears throat> reacting in a strong way, and then work with it work with the situation, see what's the cause of the suffering. And uh, typically the cause is taken to be some kind of 
kind of compulsive grasping or pushing away. I don't want that or I want that. And there's a kind of an unconsciousness there. And so we're invited to look at when there's suffering and then to work with it, to say, can I release where I'm tight and just open to the experience and act skillfully. So that's the fourth foundation. So first three are on the constituents and then looking at larger patterns, I think both personal and more universal. So that's our four-month curriculum. And I'll invite people uh, to consider, you know, at the end of the day, whether you'd like to come back for the uh, rest of the series. And I'll also say that for those who are particularly interested in mindfulness of the body and who happen to have Monday and or Tuesday open, I'm actually staying here and teaching Monday and Tuesday with my colleague Heather Monroe Pierce, a two-day non-residential retreat called Embodied Awakening Through Meditation and Sacred Dance. So if you want three days in a row uh, focused on awareness of the body and you happen to have Monday or Tuesday free her, you know, can find a way to be here, you have an opportunity. Okay. So that being said, let me introduce myself a little more fully and talk about the day and then go right into the uh, content of, of the day. Um, let's see. The, um, my int- I had a really deep interest in mindfulness of the body pretty much since I began practicing, which was over 35 years ago. And I'll, I'll tell stories during the course of the day, particularly, I think, in the next segment. Uh, but I was, I was uh, really drawn right initially in practice to the way that uh, meditation really brought me back to my senses from a more, coming from a more mental approach, which had been my conditioning. And um, in different ways, mindfulness of the body has really been crucial. For, at some periods of time, I've devoted several years in my practice just to focusing on mindfulness of the body in different ways. And I'll talk about some of that later. So it's been very crucial. And just to fill out a little bit more of my background, um, I'm a member of the Teachers' Council here at Spirit Rock and teach um, in different areas. I sometimes uh, think of myself in in three broad areas. First, have a deep interest in retreats and going more deeply in silent practice. Um, a few times in the last few years, I've been one of the teachers for our two-month retreat, uh, which is beautiful, working with dedicated people, practicing either for a month or for two months. And that, that uh, silent practice and retreat has been very crucial for me uh, over the years. And I probably have spent a significant chunk of my life uh, in doing silent practice. But I've also had, secondly, a really strong interest in making this practice of awareness work in this culture, in this strange, wonderful, terrifying culture, (laughs) you know, um, which has so much that's really interesting, fascinating, and is uh, out of balance in a lot of ways as well, you know. And how uh, how do we work to awaken and to develop awareness given the kind of lives we have, which are very different from the lives of those who are addressed, for example, in the text on the foundations of mindfulness. We often have work, we're on the computer a lot, we have relationships, we're involved in communities and so forth. So that's been a second interest to really work in that way. And in particular, I've worked with several areas. I I like to teach retreats. I've been developing retreats on speech and communication 
for which mindfulness of the body is very, very crucial. Uh, also have uh, a background in psychology, have a background in body-based psychotherapy, the Hakomi approach, and which some of you probably know about, and uh, really which uses awareness of the body as a vehicle for accessing uh, psychological learning. So that connection of meditation and psychology has been quite important for me as well. And then thirdly, I've been very interested in connecting inner work with social service and social change work as well, and have been involved with a number of training programs, some connected with Spirit Rock, some connected with Buddhist Peace Fellowship, where we've worked to help people who are doing social service in all sorts of different ways for social change work to connect their inner work with their outer manifestations. And, and actually, ha- I have done quite a bit of writing on that. And, One of the writings was a book which I've left out on the table if you want to take a look, which is called The Engaged Spiritual Life. So that's some of my my background. So what I've designed for the day is uh, a process by which we will explore a number of different practices for cultivating mindfulness of the body. And the day is organized into four segments. Um, two segments before lunch. We'll have one segment now, which is more introductory. Then there's a walking meditation period. Then there's a second segment. And um, in this first segment, I'm going to talk in a little while about mindfulness generally and give an introduction to mindfulness of the body. But I wanted, since it's the first session, I wanted to say some about mindfulness and give some uh, exploration of what, of what mindfulness is, since it's such a key concept. Then a walking meditation, which is one of the core body practices, and we'll do some different versions of that. Then the second segment, I want to focus particularly, we'll do a sitting where we'll do some further practices of mindfulness of the body. Then I'll give a, an overview about mindfulness of the body, both in terms of the core practices and in terms of the importance of mindfulness of the body in our culture. And then we'll have lunch, which is continued practice of mindfulness of the body, this time with the the sensations of eating. And uh, I'll invite, if you want to have do your lunch in silence and take that as a continuation of mindfulness practice, that'll be an option. It's not a requirement, but it'll be an option for you. And there'll be about an hour for lunch. Lunch will be about 12.30. I think I've left, uh, Sean put up a schedule, which is on the back door, and maybe on the other side of the door as well. Then we'll, uh, roughly about 12.30, come back about 1.30, about an hour for lunch, come back about 1.30 for a third segment, which will explore some further practices that are uh, outlined in the text on the foundations of mindfulness, the practices on the parts of the body, and particularly the practice of being with the four elements of earth, air, fire, and water in terms of the body, which is an ancient practice, and I wanted to give instruction in that. Then, the, uh, then again, the further walking meditation, which I'll also invite some further ways of doing walking meditation, uh, particularly linked with uh, uh, two practices, being with the elements as we walk, and then Secondly, also being aware of other bodies. 
start to bring the mindfulness of the body, not just of our inner awareness, but start to bring it outward, which is part of the text. It gives guidance in being mindful of bodies, both internally and externally. Uh, Then, uh, coming back for the last segment, which is going to be focused on bringing mindfulness of the body into daily life practice. And for each of those segments, I'll be giving relatively short talks and we'll have discussion as well. So plenty of times to check in about our practice or to ask uh, questions. That's the design of the day. And I'll try to keep with it. I'm also open to the unexpected happening and insights and ways uh, that we want to move with what emerges. But I'll pro- I'll, I want generally want to stay with that design. And I'll be, I'll be working really with uh, two kinds of balancing during the... Um, during the instruction on the practices, the teaching, the talks, and so forth, I want to uh, really balance between, uh, on the one hand, the training of mindfulness of the body in meditation, in formal meditation, and then the ways that we can develop the mindfulness of the body more in ways that are connected with everyday activities, like in walking, like in mindfulness during washing the dishes or eating lunch and so forth. So I'll balance between the formal meditation on the one hand and then the uh, mindfulness of indifferent activities really on the other, more connected with daily life. And somewhat parallel, I also want to balance between two intentions. One is to give a pretty clear understanding of what's there in this foundational text uh, on uh, the section on mindfulness of the body. You know, and that'll be, I think, important in this series on foundations of mindfulness. We want to stay uh, grounded in the text. On the other hand, though, I want to also uh, in, I want to intend to make this real for who we are in this culture with the kind of lives we have. Right? So I want to work with the text on the one hand, but also from time to time I'll talk about, okay, this is what it says in the text. This is typical conditioning for most of us about our body. So I'll balance, I'll balance those two intentions. <clears throat> so any questions about the schedule or about any of the logistics, anything I've said so far? Please. Let's, um, let's not do them during the sitting, but you could do it during the walking period, you know, okay. And uh, for the sitting, let's uh, stay sitting. If, you, if you're sleepy, though, uh, during a sitting, it's possible to stand up. If you've just had a really long week and you find yourself really, really drowsy, it's okay to stand up for five minutes, three minutes, sit back down. Ten minutes later, stand up sit back down, whatever really serves you, that we really want to do which, uh, that which is helping mindfulness of the body. So anything else? Yeah? I've found that it's common to get instruction in sitting and um, walking meditation, but not so much in standing or lying down. I was wondering if you could speak about that a little bit today as well. Yeah, to bring in instruction in standing and lying down meditation, which is not commonly taught. It's taught more in Asian context, you know, like we're... 
I, I've studied it some, you know. The, um, good. And um, one other comment, if you, I think most of you who are, who are here and, and getting uh, continuing education credits uh, know what to do and so forth, but if you have any questions, you can go to the back office and talk to Sean. I think there's a, a table where that's up there also for, for CEU. Okay? Good. So let me talk some about mindfulness generally, since it's really our, our, our basic topic here. And we're devoting a day to mindfulness of the body. And there's this theme of mindfulness, which is entering Western culture, particularly the United States, so quickly. You know, that we have mindfulness being brought into so many different areas, psychology, education. You know, there's a program called Mindful Schools in the East Bay and San Francisco, I think now expanding into Marin which has taught mindfulness to 15,000 elementary school students in the Bay Area. Yeah, very interesting, you know, and it's the mindfulness is going into uh, the study of the brain. They're studying what, what does the brain do on mindfulness, so to speak. Uh, it's, go, it's in law. There are, there are courses on mindfulness for lawyers, right, which um, possibly may change the core paradigm of law, actually. You know, maybe away from more adversarial approaches to law. Quite interesting. A lot, of, a lot of possibilities. Mindfulness is being brought into higher education. There are a number of um, workshops, uh, retreats that one can go to as a teacher uh, in higher education, in um, different levels of education, and, bring, and study how to bring mindfulness into the classroom. There's mindfulness being brought into sports. Michael Jordan learned mindfulness. <laughs> it's true, <laughs> you know. And uh, uh, mindfulness is also being brought into the military. Interestingly, you know, I'm, I'm not sure of all the ways that's happening, uh, but I know that there there are trainings which are occurring in the military uh, for for mindfulness, and it really raises the question about what mindfulness is. And and I know when. Um, when I was being taught in the Hakomi approach to body-based psychotherapy, mindfulness was treated simply as inner awareness. And we were, and we were, we were given a five-minute talk on, uh, that, about mindfulness as inner awareness, just being aware inside. And then um, our first exercise was, here's your client, induce mindfulness in your client, you have five minutes. <laughs> So, you know, so, which, and the, the kind of the correct answer was something like, "Okay, how are you? <laughs> you know, okay, just go inside." Right? Right? And, and and that was kind of it. And I, I shared with the people who were the trainers uh, something like the list of quotations about mindfulness. That's one of our handouts, right? Okay, and that and most of them didn't know the full background in mindfulness that's coming from the Buddhist tradition, particularly. So. It's an interesting term, really. What is mindfulness? And what, uh, what's involved with uh, uh, the nature of mindfulness in our core text, the, the four foundations of mindfulness? And we, have, we all have the text for the beginning of that, uh, of that uh, discourse. 
and the, the uh, section on mindfulness of the body. That's one of our handouts. So it's, you can see it's very short. The entire text is about 10 pages, the foundations of <coughs> mindfulness. And there are other texts uh, that uh, reflect discourses that were given by the Buddha. And there's a lot of commentary and further development in different Buddhist traditions. But our core text is very brief. You know, and we can, we can really study it and, and unpack it. So what is mindfulness? You know, and it's actually translated in all sorts of different ways. Um, the, the term mindfulness itself comes from uh, the late 19th century Victorian-era British translators who found the word mindfulness in the King James Bible of the 17th century and were fond at the time of telling their children be mindful and eat all your peas. You know? And so mindfulness was part of the vocabulary uh, of Britain of the end of the 19th century. And it's, most of us think it's not the greatest translation. You know? <laughs> and other people are experimenting with other terms. You know, for one thing, uh, it, mindfulness is, is a quality of awareness in which we can see with the four foundations, we are aware of all the constituents of experience. And we are aware of, uh, we can be aware of the body, we can be aware of the emotions, we can be aware of thoughts, the mental. And the very term mindfulness is a little misleading because it suggests something that's more mental. So if we were being strict, we might say mind, body, heart, fullness. <laughs> you know? So some people would rather translate it by awareness. You know, that some people prefer that as a translation. Other people use translations like uh, recollection or recollective awareness, a sense of really knowing what's happening in the present moment. And it really refers to this basic capacity to be aware in the present moment of our experience. Um, in the text, there actually are several words which are used and we have, uh, we have words like clearly knowing, we have, we have instructions to observe, and it seems like uh, one of my colleagues, Gil Fronsdale, really likes to translate mindfulness by awareness. And to say that mindfulness is a quality of resting with experience, and that in the actual text, when we're actually practicing mindfulness, we do a lot of things. We direct our attention in certain ways. We look at the body. We do these practices with the breath. We attend to the body in certain ways. We observe, we explore, we do this, we do that. And he likes to say that that's actually not mindfulness itself. We do those things and then the quality of mindfulness is to rest with experience, to kind of abide with experience. And so the mindfulness is a more receptive quality, but to have mindfulness arise, we need to do more active uh, meditative practices, like be aware of the breath, direct your attention, attend in this way, and so forth. Does that make a little bit of sense? That the, that, so, there, so for the practice of mindfulness, there's both an active quality and there's a receptive quality. Ultimately, our practice of mindfulness, in other words, is going to involve some doing and some quality of resting, of just being receptive. You know, so it's interesting in that way, both an active and a receptive dimension. Um, 
I'll use the word mindfulness, even though I have problems with the translation. It's a translation of the word sati, which again has different, different connotations and people translate it in these different ways. So what does, what does mindfulness or sati do? It is able to be with what is directly in one's awareness. So mindfulness has a property of being able to stay with or remember. Some of the etymological connotations of mindfulness actually have to do with memory. That mindfulness can actually be with and stay with, remember to stay with whatever is happening that's predominant in experience or wherever we're directing our attention. So we direct our attention to the breath. We're able to stay with the sensations of breath. So part of the function of mindfulness is actually to have a stable attention. We know that's not so easy, right? The mind wanders all over the place. So mindfulness actually has the quality of having some degree of stabilization of attention, which is not easy. Even maybe right now, is our, is our mind going somewhere other than listening to me? I won't check or... Won't. <laughs> right. What? What did you say? <laughs> right. And so, um, and that's a big thing in meditation, particularly for people like many of us who are very busy, you know, have all sorts of things going on, all sorts of electronic information coming in and out, right? Just actually having the mind be able to be stabilized is a big thing. So part of mindfulness is to actually to have uh, a, stable, a stable mind. Mindfulness is also a kind of natural presence where we, where we have this ability to be present to experience, to really be there, to stay, to be with what's there in the present moment. You know, not, not really um, anywhere other than the present moment with what's predominant in experience. Ultimately, the purpose of mindfulness is to see experience clearly so that we can respond in the present moment with wisdom and compassion. So mindfulness is not an end in itself, per se. We can, in other words, being a great expert on sensations of the breath is not the ultimate goal. The reason that we're mindful, and, in, and you see in the beginning of the text, the Buddha says this is the direct path for the purification of beings. That mindfulness through being aware of the present moment, we come to see clearly what's in the present moment. We come to see clearly the nature of things, or I should say more clearly, and we can respond more skillfully. That's the purpose of mindfulness. Sometimes I think that all of our spiritual practice can boil down to three aspects. One is we are aware, present, mindful of what's happening now. On the basis of that, I summon my best wisdom and compassion and say, how should I respond? And then I act. So it's the response. That's a different area, really. But we're mindful so that we can have skillful response to -to moment-to-moment life. We sometimes call that wisdom. We sometimes call that compassion. That's what the purpose of mindfulness is. And one of the dangers of the way that mindfulness has entered the culture for example, in the instructions that I was given in that psychological training, even though the training itself was wonderful, I thought it did have a somewhat um, quick, 
presentation of mindfulness. One of the dangers of bringing in mindfulness in all these secular ways, we, might, we sometimes talk about secular mindfulness, bringing it into the law, into psychology, into education, is that sometimes mindfulness is taught simply as a technique to be aware or to be attentive. And what's lost is that connection with skillful action. And in the traditional teachings, mindfulness was one of the factors of the Noble Eightfold Path, of the whole spiritual path. Mindfulness was one of eight factors. And the key to following the path and the key to what's sometimes called right mindfulness or mature mindfulness is actually that it's linked with all the other factors. And the other fact that generally the factors of the path fall into three categories. I'm probably giving a little more information now than I'll give in the other session, so hang on. <laughs> but the, the general path is understood as comprised of ethics, meditation, and wisdom. That's what the eight factors of the Noble Eightfold Path are. So the ethical factors are sometimes called right speech or mature speech, right livelihood, right action, which means acting ethically. The wisdom factors have to do with uh, mature or, or right intention and understanding. And then the meditative factors have to do with concentration, mindfulness, and the effort to be aware and to, be, to have a skillful response to meditation, to, to whatever is happening. And so when mindfulness is just presented as a technique, I could say briefly that those ways that mindfulness has been brought into our culture run the risk of losing the connection with ethics and with wisdom. You know? And historically that's been a danger. In Japan, in the 20th century, the Japanese militarism and fascism in the first part of the 20th century used Buddhism and Buddhist meditation as part of the war effort. That has happened historically. You know? And we have to be careful about that. If you, you know, because when you cut off and make mindfulness a technique, separate from that question of what's a skillful response, the ethical dimension, the wisdom dimension, it runs the danger of being cut off from its moorings. And certainly traditionally, mindfulness was always understood as right mindfulness or mature mindfulness. And there is such a thing as wrong mindfulness. One can be very mindful in um, carrying out a theft, right? Or in doing something, you know, a terrorist could be very mindful, very present, you know, very much there, very being aware, okay, this is what I'm feeling right now. So you see, Traditionally, there was such a thing as wrong mindfulness. It's called micha sati. So I'm, one of, I'm saying all these things at the beginning because this is part of the context. And this is really, and it also relates to the larger culture where mindfulness is entering very quickly. And I think uh, in ways that sometimes are problematic. You know. and it's not to say that all those ways it's entering the culture are free of any there, a lot of times there is an ethical dimension and there is a wisdom dimension, but sometimes there's not. Right? And that, that can become a problem, just as it was historically. And you, know, you can look back at... Uh, I've actually heard some Japanese Buddhists uh, make public apologies and they basically said, Buddhism and meditation were misused. We forgot the ethical dimension. 
they said that I've, heard, I've been to apology ceremonies which were quite powerful in that way. So that's part of the larger context. Mindfulness is part of a larger path that in, ultimately involves all the parts of ourselves and all the parts of our lives. And yet we can also focus and talk about mindfulness as cultivating awareness, attention, and so forth. Just a few other ways to explain what mindfulness is. It's present-centered. It's a kind of focused attention that we focus in particular ways. And then ultimately, after that focusing, there can be a kind of resting. So again, the active and the receptive dimensions of mindfulness. There's, there's an ability growing with mindfulness to be with whatever's happening. So mindfulness, we like to say, is non-reactive and non-judgmental. It's non-reactive in the sense that we learn how to be with experience when it's pleasant without grabbing for what's pleasant or having ideas saying, oh, this is really so cool, this mindfulness of the body. I'm really getting into the breath. Maybe I should come tomorrow to embodied awakening through. <laughs> or, or say, oh, I've got to do more meditation. And of course, at those moments, we're not aware of the body. We're kind of grasping onto the experience. It's more obvious with what we do with unpleasant experiences. And it's a big theme for mindfulness of the body. How can I be mindful of the body when it's unpleasant? Is mindfulness of the body supposed to be always pleasant? What's the answer? No. no, right. Correct. <laughs> Very good. So, uh, on the other hand, mindfulness of the body is often talked about as a portal to joy and bliss. And so, we really, in a way, uh, have to have that openness and mindfulness to be with whatever opens up an experience. And sometimes it's joyful, pleasant, blissful, and sometimes it's painful. And of course, life gives us both. And part of mindfulness of the body is actually being skillful with what comes up and being capable of being with unpleasant sensations in the body without being reactive, you know, without trying to push them away. Of course, we have the guideline that if there's damage to the body or there's an injury or we're maybe causing injury, we don't go in that direction. You know? we, but a lot of our unpleasant sensations in the body when we're sitting or whatever, or ones we can hang out with. And we actually uh, can just be with that. It's actually a pretty important part of meditation, as most of you who have been doing it know, to actually be sometimes with unpleasant experiences. So mindfulness has that non-reactive quality. It's also uh, non-judgmental. This is not in the original text. It does, uh, the language is different. It doesn't use the word non-judgmental. Uh, that's, that's how we present it to Westerners, <laughs> because uh, we are often very judgmental of our meditation, of ourselves, of other people, of our politicians, of our family, of the weather, and so forth, right? And so here we want to, we want to develop, so you get the sense, we develop an attention that's open, that can be with what's there, that has enough stability to be present and that, can, and that can, stay, can stay with experience. And ultimately, this isn't in the text, but I think it's something that, that I like to teach often. Ultimately, mindfulness has the quality of a kind heart. Again, it's not so explicit in the text, but it's something that I think that I find that 
attention and being present ultimately has a quality of caring and care. And I think we know this when, you know, we're, when we're maybe with someone or maybe I'm having, particularly I'm having um, maybe a challenging time and someone listens to me. And just that quality of presence and listening can have the quality of care. And I think we know that again, we know, maybe know that more obviously when we actually attend to a child or to another person and we do it fully, there's a quality of warmth and care there that just comes naturally with the quality of being present. Does that make some sense? That we can find that often and ultimately our mindfulness can develop to the point where it also has that quality of kindness and warmth, even just with sensations of breath, even with just being aware of a tree and so forth. So that's a, that's a direction for, for our practice. Just a few other words and then we'll go into walking meditation. Um, mindfulness is crucial because it helps us to cut through the tendencies of the mind to get lost or to be fixated on certain things or to want also to continually change things. You know, we, when, we, when we cultivate mindfulness of the body, we'll notice the mind wanting to jump in or the, uh, ourselves wanting to jump in. Oh, I should change that. That's really good. Let's make it better. Or that's not so good. Let's shift, it, shift posture. So part of what we come up against, a lot of this is culturally conditioned. We come up against the, the doer and fixer. Do you know that in yourself? The doer and fixer. And we'll notice that in, in mindfulness. Maybe the last thing to say about mindfulness is that it also helps us to be with direct experience and less with our interpretations and stories about experience. And this also becomes really, really crucial. That we are with, and mindfulness body particularly valuable, we're with the sensations, the direct sensations of experience. And we can notice when we go to the story level, when we start even to begin to conceptualize. So, I might conceptualize and say, that's pain, right? And that's another notch above just saying, that's unpleasant. For many of us to say it's pain makes it bad, gives an evaluation. And so mindfulness tries to get closer to direct experience, especially with mindfulness of the body by staying at the level of sensation. And then we bring in minimally a few concepts which help us direct attention in certain ways. So we say, be with the sensations of breath. Or later, we'll say, be with this part of the body. Or be with the aspect of bodily experience where there's warmth, or where there's a sense of movement, and so forth. So we give some attention that way. Okay. So, mindfulness has all of those qualities. And what we're going to do today is to apply mindfulness to the field of the body, to the field of bodily experience. In future daylongs, we'll bring mindfulness to those other areas I mentioned, to the sense of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, or feeling tone, which probably I'll bring in a little bit today, to the thoughts and emotions, and then to those larger patterns of experience. And so we, um, 
we practice really here by focusing on a number of different practices. I'm not going to take us in detail through all the practices in the text. Generally speaking, there are six uh, areas of practice that are outlined in the text. And I'll be bringing in some further ones having to do with daily life experience, more in the last part. So first there's mindfulness of breath, which we've already introduced. Then there's mindfulness of the body in different postures that, that you referred to. Mindfulness of the body in sitting, in walking, in standing, and lying. That's the second whole area that's uh, outlined in the text. The third area is mindfulness of the body during different activities. So this could include walking, but it would be especially when we are, um, you know, getting up, when we are um, making our meal, when we're eating, when we are talking with someone else, when we are um, using the bathroom, when we are doing this or that activity, the uh, instruction is be aware of the body in all of those activities. And so very much, that's very much directed towards daily life. There's a fourth practice, which we'll explore some in the afternoon, which is mindfulness of the different parts of the body. And I'll explain that more when we, when we get there. That's a practice that's especially, that's, and classically there are sometimes 31 or 32 or 36 parts of the body that one attended to. You know, the hair, some of them were more outer, some of them are more inner. You attend to the hair, you know, different parts of the body, the nails, and so forth. And you move on to the internal organs. Um, we're not going to do that in detail, but I'll give a taste of the mindfulness of the parts of the body. The fifth practice is mindfulness of the four elements of the body. Uh, this is the mindfulness of the way that the body manifests as earth, air, fire, and water. And we will do practices on that in the afternoon. And then the last practice, set of practices, of which there are quite a few, is called the charnel ground contemplations, where the instruction is, go to a charnel ground, of which there are not any nearby, and watch a decomposing body. (laughs) We do not typically do that at Spirit Rock. Uh, And it's also, the practices also are linked with actually contemplating one's own body as a corpse. And I'll just do a little version of that and some other versions, which is meant to, uh, I'll I'll talk about some of the motivation there. Essentially, it's meant to have a balanced and accurate view of the body, uh, including the fact of death. So it's not meant to be just to focus on the negative, but it's meant to have a balanced approach, and particularly to see where we may be not really seeing things accurately. I'll say more about that later. So those are the six practices. I'll be particularly focusing on mindfulness of breathing, mindfulness of postures, mindfulness of activities, and connecting that with daily life practices, and then mindfulness of the elements, which we'll do in the afternoon. And uh, so that'll be, that'll, that'll be some of what we explore in the, uh, in the course of the day. And for the, you know, for the next segment, we'll go right into more of a focus on, on 
on mindfulness of the body. And we'll, throughout the day, alternate between, uh, between talking and, and, and silent practices. Okay? So, any questions right away? I have time for just a, little, a few questions, please. Yeah. 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 The the etymology of the uh, word sati, which is the word that we translate as mindfulness, is related to words having to do with memory, and you can actually see in some texts where I, I don't know if I reproduced one of them. Let's see. Uh, I don't think so. Let's see. There actually are passages where it's said that uh, one who is truly mindful can remember things that happened a long time ago. So there are links with memory. Um, another aspect of memory that's probably more central for us is the, fa- is the act of remembering to be present. You know, to remember, there's an aspect of mindfulness where we remember to be present and Many of you have done meditation know that mindfulness actually isn't that hard. But especially in our daily lives, remembering to be mindful is very hard. Do you know that one? <laughs> so those are, the, those are some aspects related to memory. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, um, I, I kind of think of the, of the word remember itself as more of an orthopedic term. And mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually like joint, 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 bone, bone. Yeah, that that we can understand the word remember, which we associate with memory. We can give it a very bodily or embodied understanding, and it's sometimes used that way. You know that we 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 uh, we say that we are currently when we're distracted. We, in a sense, are dismembered. We're cut off from our bodies often, right? And that when we remember, we come back to our bodies, right? We come back to present. So I like that. Thank you. Please, yeah. How do you spell sati? Oh, how do you spell sati? Okay, S-A-T-I. Um, please, yeah. Maybe two more and then we'll go to walking, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I've been having this conversation with a friend about um, mindfulness being misused. Yeah. So I took the part, she was talking from that point, and I, it seems to me that if one is mindful, and as you said, it brings up a feeling of good heart. Yeah. and you're not in <clears throat> not in any religious tradition, and and even with the military, and I've had some experience with them. Um, it seems like the more you get into your humanity, awareness of feelings and body, mm-hmm. the more you do not want to do mm-hmm. anything harmful. Mm-hmm. So. So it was a comment about having discussion with a friend about the application of mindfulness to various social activities and corporations yeah in, in different settings and your name is Natalie Natalie uh, reflected that if I, if I could say it this way that when mindfulness is really mature it's only going to be a force for good mm-hmm. something like that 
Well, I agree. Okay. The question is whether people are developing the most mature mindfulness. <laughs> that's, that's the question. How far they're taking. How far they go, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, please. Um, and that actually addresses my question a bit, which is that, um, I'm Stephanie. Yeah. Anyway. I'm going to be uh, leading a workshop on mindfulness oh, yeah. uh, for foster parents and um, group home uh, staff yeah. and care providers. And it's, it's that secular mindfulness that you're talking about. And so um, I'm wondering if you have any recommendations where, um, as to how I can um, acknowledge that it's just one part of this greater path, you know, without the ethics and the wisdom, yeah. um, without being a Buddhist teacher and yeah, yeah. without going there. So it's a question about what sometimes is called secular mindfulness. Um, we've actually been having a lot of discussions among the teachers here at Spirit Rock about that, and we actually had an international teachers meeting, and it was one of the topics that we explored you know, about, about three weeks ago. And so it's a big topic, and I'll give a brief answer, and maybe we can talk more. Um, yeah, I think I would just um, acknowledge, acknowledge that, you know, that, that that goes a long way to say that uh, in, the, in, the, in the traditional setting, mindfulness was understood as being part of a full path in relation with ethics and wisdom, and that if it's not in connection with those, it could be distorted. That might be enough to say without you needing to tell them, well, how do you make the connections with ethics and wisdom? Right? Or you can, because one can do that in secular ways as well. But I think just saying that probably is enough. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. Um, so with that, maybe it's, how many of you are involved with bringing mindfulness into uh, different areas? So quite a few. So it's a question for many of us, right? So we, we can come back to that. It's a, it's a very live question because it's happening and, uh, yeah. Okay, so we'll now go, let's, we're going to move to walking meditation. And let me invite everyone. I'm going to give very brief walking meditation instructions, but I'll do that by inviting people to stand up. Okay. I'm going to I'll adjust the schedule just a little bit. Um, so walking meditation can be done in a number of different ways. And it can be done by being aware of part of the body very analogously to how we attend to the breath, uh, and where we typically start by being aware just of the soles of the feet, the contact with the ground, the the movement of the foot as we walk. Sometimes the awareness of one leg and then the other leg, and sometimes awareness of the whole body. And as we'll see in the afternoon, we can also be mindful uh, in walking meditation Uh, by using teachings like the elements. You know, we can actually be aware, okay, I'm walking, here's the earth element, the contact with the solid earth, right? Here's the the air element, the movement through space, right? Here's this element. And I'll teach that in the afternoon. And we could also, um, you know, we could also be with walking meditation and not just be inner, but be outer, 
with um, other bodies, so to speak. You know, to have awareness of other bodies, of trees, to have a combination of inner and outer awareness. So there are a lot of possibilities in terms of uh, walking meditation. The main approach that we teach here is probably the first, um, the first two that I mentioned, either being aware of part of the body or being aware of the whole body. That's the main approach we teach here, and that's what I'm going to teach initially. And so um, it's really analogous to being with the breath. We attend to part of the body. When the mind wanders, we come back to that part of the body. That's it, really, very much like the breath. And so the, main, the usual place that we attend is the sole of the foot, and again, sometimes uh, the leg, and we shift from one side to another. So we'll do this right now. So be aware, you can close your eyes, be aware of the contact with the floor and the sensations of your feet in contact with the floor. Notice if your mind wanders. And we'll begin walking in place. And you can really just uh, apply this when you walk uh, on your own. So slowly shift your weight to your right foot. Let the, let the left foot come off the ground and come back down. Now shift your attention to your left foot. 60%, 70 80%, 90% of the weights in your left foot. Right foot comes off the ground, receives the attention, comes back down. Weight shifts slowly to the right foot, 40 50 60 70 80 90%. Left foot comes off the ground, receives the attention, comes back down. Weight shifts. Right foot comes off the ground, receives the attention, comes back down. And just do this on your own for just a little while, staying with the sensations of the sole of the foot, shifting it from one foot to another. As the foot comes off the ground, you shift. So the attention should just be on one foot at a time. Some people find it helpful to concentrate, to give a very soft mental label to the different parts of the walk. Lifting, moving, placing, shifting. Maybe 5% of your attention. That's an optional technique that can help you stay with the sensations. Or it could just be lifting, moving, placing. Lifting, moving, placing. It's also an option to be aware of the sensations just of one leg at a time, shifting from one leg to another like we were with the foot. So just see what works the best for you. We come back to standing. And so the walking meditation, as probably as many of you know, 
maybe most of you, is done by walking back and forth on a path. Um, of course, you can do this when you're just walking you know, around town or even hiking, uh, but when we do it in a formal way, there are advantages in going back and forth in a contained space, maybe 50 feet, 100 feet, something like that. It will actually help the concentration to develop when you do it that way rather than just wander. You know, when you keep it more contained, you can do it uh, at a slow pace. You can also do walking a little bit more quickly. You know, it, it can be done really at any pace. But the, for most people, find it helpful uh, in training to do it somewhat slower than normal. And some people do it quite slowly. That's really up to you to see what helps you to stay with the sensations. For your eyes, you can keep them uh, generally not doing too much initially, with this initial practice, just open enough, kind of lightly focused, open enough just to navigate and to um, keep your body from colliding with another body. <laughs> so, uh, any questions about the instructions? Okay, so we'll do, um, we'll do about 25 minutes now, and we'll come back, uh, we'll ring the bell at, uh, let's ring the bell about uh, seven, or, seven or eight minutes before, and we'll start again in here at 11.30, okay? And so the bell should be rung about 11, let's say 11.22 or so, and know that you have about eight minutes or so before we'll start in here, okay? And so we'll go back again into silence during the walking time. It's also a time you can use the bathrooms, and we'll go into walking, then we'll come back into a sitting, which come back into a silent sitting. Okay? Thanks. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.